Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Read Platform podcast. I'm joined as always by Paul, my co-host. Morning, Paul. Morning, how are you doing? Yeah, good. How about yourself? Yeah, good. Thank you. Excellent. Let's crack on. So quite excited about this one. So we're going to be talking about Magento 2 and Paul's one of the leading solution specialists in this area. So he has a massive amount of experience, way more than I've got, which is great. So I'm going to learn loads today as well, which is cool. So the reason for talking about this is Magento 2 uh, it has been the big story in the marketplace for a few years. Moving from Magento 1 to 2 is not just a quick migration, it's a proper replatforming. Magento 1 has been sunset in June 2020, so a lot of people have moved over, but there's still a, quite a few people still on Magento 1. So we're going to talk about what the different versions of the platform are. There is open source, or community version, and there is also the enterprise versions, commerce and commerce cloud, commerce cloud being... Adobe's um, yeah, essentially play to get into that uh, and compete in that, that SaaS market where they're providing the application support and hosting. So a lot of people who are at enterprise level think that they need to go to the commerce versions because commerce versions have additional features and um, since Adobe brought out Magento they put a lot of investment into, into the releases and, and really ramping it up. However, the open source version is highly flexible and with the right development skills, you can actually plug feature gaps quite well using third-party specialist tools or enhancing the core application, building out a best-in-class suite. And that, that level of flexibility can offer different um, advantages. So there's pros and cons to both. And there's also agencies out there like Tom & Co, GPMD, who, who choose to build a lot on the open source versions and have really good case studies of building um, uh, retail e-commerce sites that are uh, turning over a large amount of revenue on an open source version. So what I want to do today is really um, pull apart Paul's mind to get as much insight as we possibly can on commerce and open source, what they are, how they change in, you know, pros and cons, etc. So, so I guess, Paul, I'm going to um, open up with a, a nice warm-up um, warm question and then we'll get into the details. But could you give everyone an overview of Magento 2, commerce and open source, how it's changed over time? Yep, absolutely. So, um, so with commerce and open source, as you said, um, you've got commerce, which is the paid version, premium version, um, the main differentiator is features. Um, and then you've got open source, which is the free open source version of the platform. Um, historically, um, the open source version, which was previously community, was much more widely used and it was used by a much smaller retailer than it is today. Um, and then commerce has improved as well over time, particularly since M2. Um, so there's been a number of kind of feature improvements as historically they used, there used to be a lot of question marks around whether the difference in feature set was actually worth the investment in the commerce license. Um, so they were, they were quite similar and then there were a few kind of additional features that were available in commerce, but they could uh, be replicated via different third parties and different modules. Whereas now you've got things like the B2B suite, which is, um, a big, uh, improvement in M2. So the B2B suite has quite a lot of kind of enterprise level B2B functionality, which can be extended in its own right. Um, you have page builder, which is a big improvement and allows kind of retailers to operate a lot more self sufficiently without needing developers to get involved in kind of building out landing pages or content blocks across the site. Um, and then there's been various improvements in things like visual merchandiser, content staging, even little features like things like gift registry have improved a lot since them too. So I think the, the feature gap has got a lot wider. Um, with open source, though, I still think it's, um, it's, it can be really valuable. 
um, for either retailers wanting to operate in a certain way where they want kind of a light set of modules and then they want to kind of build on top of that themselves um, or people that just can't justify the licensing costs and with the licensing now being based primarily on um, revenue um, if you've got a retailer that maybe doesn't necessarily have high budgets for the, a project but they do have but they're turning over a lot of revenue online it's quite difficult to justify commerce so that's where open source still definitely has a place interesting thank you a really good overview i guess one one question that that, that i've been asked a few times and it'd be useful to to, to touch on it now is is open source supported by Adobe or is it not supported and it's reliant on the, com on the developer community to keep extending it? So for example, you know, do they release on it? Do they do patches, fixes? How secure and stable is it versus commerce, which we know is the area they're investing in because that is going to be the area where they drive the most monetary value out of. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's not um, supported to the same level. So you can still apply patches on the open source version. But in terms of like new feature developments and kind of where they're building out the product in terms of um, the cloud and things like deployments and kind of the overall architecture and then um, kind of new features for commerce generally, um, it's not supported to the same level. Right. OK, that's a good distinction to have, I think, for people. So let's let's talk a bit more about um, the open source option and, and then do a comparison back to, to commerce. Can big retailers genuinely operate on open source? Does it give them enough capability to do enterprise level e-commerce, omni-channel, you know, all the, the things that people want to do in more advanced catalog management, merchandising, et cetera? Can it do it? Um, do you have any examples where a big retailer is using it? And on top of that, just because I like to throw loads of questions at you, what are the key drawbacks? Because nothing's ever perfect. We talk about this a lot. No platform's 100% perfect. So are there drawbacks that a retailer needs to understand when thinking about this? So, yeah, if, you, if I could, we could go through it. Big retailers, can they use it? Some examples and then any drawbacks. Yeah, absolutely. So I think big retailers can definitely use open source. And I actually, I've actually heard recently more big retailers looking at open source due to the shift towards headless and, um, and people taking, or not just headless, but also more retailers using things like PIMS and kind of different specialist third parties and then relying on a platform less. Um, so that's kind of a trend that I've seen a little bit, but not too much, but I've definitely seen a couple of examples where bigger retailers have looked at open source and then they're looking to kind of take more stuff out of the platform. Um, in terms of big retailers using open source, so absolutely. So uh, Pretty Little Thing and Brand Alley are two of the big ones that I often use. Um, so both pretty sizable retailers, both pretty complex um, and they're both using open source. And then in terms of kind of how they would operate, um, they could quite easily take certain parts of what would be offered in commerce and then replicate it. So for example, with visual merchandiser, you could use uh, the Amastu module and Neclo, or you could completely take that area out of the platform and look at something like Bloomreach, which obviously is a different level of cost, but um, it's still um, potentially viable to kind of achieve uh, an enterprise level of visual merchandising that maybe Magento Commerce can't offer. Um, and then in terms of the drawbacks, so you've got things like you talked about support before and with um, commerce, Magento do actually support the product. So you have things like issue resolution, you can raise bugs, etc. Um, so that's often a drawback for um, retailers, I find. Um, and then also, so with the different features in commerce, so things like page builder, visual merchandiser, content staging, customer segmentation, a lot of these can be replicated, but 
when you use third parties, um, they're not as joined up. So one of the things that I do really like about commerce now um, is that you could feasibly build a new version of the homepage. Um, you could then visual merchandise a series of categories um, and then you could schedule that for release um, in uh, on a certain date. And then you can actually see that workflow as well and kind of when things are going live. Um, it definitely feels a lot more joined up now. Um, and that is something that I've not seen someone really uh, replicate with open source you end up with a series of kind of isolated areas so for example if you're for page building if you're using something like zmags or uh, styler or something like that it's quite isolated and it's not really an active part of the platform um, and then you can't really combine that with other areas of the platform if that makes sense yeah yeah it does and i think that's an important point and this is the aim of these podcasts is to tease out the pros and cons of different approaches because then people can understand whether it fits operationally with with how they want to manage a website. Um, the other thing that I'd quite like to ask you as well is one of the, 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 the common criticisms of taking a, a fully open source and customizable platform and then extending it to your heart's content yeah. is that you're off of upgrade paths and if you decide that you need to move to a different partner in the future because your current SI is not fit for purpose or you've outgrown them, that it becomes much harder because it's so customized that you can't do that. Is that a genuine criticism of open source or is that actually true regardless of whether you're on commerce and open source because the platform is extendable and therefore you could have extended it and made it, you know, not possible to just directly migrate everything into a new provider. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely um, possible on both versions. So I've had loads of clients that have been on commerce and they've like heavily customized the platform and then they've had issues with, upgrades and kind of another agency then supporting the platform um i think with if you are going down the route if you're a relatively complex business and you choose open source over commerce you know that you're then going to need to um, either use a number of different third parties or build different kind of custom modules yourself um, and inherently by doing that that is going to impact um the kind of support of the platform um but equally if you use the right third parties and you take the right approach um in developing modules and building and extending the platform um i think it can be controlled and it's just about kind of having that level of best practice which applies to both versions yeah so i, I guess the the key advice to people considering magento and then the different versions is to really probe to any uh, development agency how are they how do they set up their project builds you know, how have they extended Magento? Yeah, is it such a customizable version that, that it can be reused or have they actually extended it sensibly so they've got the core application and they've built around it? Yeah, I think one, one thing on that is that's quite interesting now is like if I go back a couple of years ago, um, so when I've been involved in discoveries these days, pretty much every agency wants to keep things vanilla unless they can't keep things vanilla and everyone wants to kind of standardize and avoid kind of deviating away from standard magento because they've had so much pain in the past or kind of when you hear people saying bad things about magento often it's because people have deviated away from standard um, and then they've or they've customized the core of the platform and then that's then impacted stability or scalability um, and i feel like now for some reason like most agencies have kind of adopted that approach of keeping things clean simple native um which is definitely a good thing and i think that applies to both versions but probably more commerce yeah definitely uh, another question related to that you've talked about some of the feature sets and advantages that you get in commerce versus the open source 
Are there any scenarios where a business has a specific type of need where you, in your experience, commerce has won hands down versus open source? So are there, you know, can you take a particular business operation model which says, okay, it's a global business with complex omni-channel, multi-channel demands, and it needs you know, really good order management, endless R capabilities, and therefore actually commerce ticks that box way better than open source ever will? Can you ever yeah. narrow it down on a capability where commerce wins outright? So there's one really obvious one, which is B2B. So the B2B suite is actually really good. So I've, play, I've never had a client use it, but I've played around with it quite a lot. Um, and it's really impressive. And it gives you capabilities like um, shared catalogs, um, the uh, quoting um, management, kind of all of those kind of things. Um, and I think that would be a good use case for, so like, I think that's a really good argument for a retailer to just go with commerce without even really looking at open source. Um, beyond that, I can understand why people would look at open source, um, but often when you kind of total up the different features and the benefits they provide, um, it becomes more of, it's like semi-obvious to go with commerce, assuming that the, the price isn't too high. So the thing with commerce these days is that um, you might be paying $30,000 a year when another retailer might be paying $300,000 a year. So I guess a lot of it comes down to uh, cost. Um, one of the only other use cases, is, I guess, is if you're um, using the order management product, um, which can add quite a lot of value for specific, like, so I had a client that used it for um, basically managing click and collect via a network of um, suppliers. So they essentially ring fence stock within these different um, shops uh, local, for local stores in London. And then they allowed the user to then do click and collect via that, using that ring fence stock via a network of suppliers. And that was all managed via the order management product. Um, and it worked really well. And I think that was the only reason they actually went commerce in the end, uh, because they got a deal combining the licenses. Um, so that's the only other kind of obvious use case where I think you don't really think about commerce. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about the capability you need to turn on because some things you can plug in from a large number of existing tools like merchandising, yeah. testing, whatever it might be. There's a load of specialist tools in the marketplace, but in something like B2B, it's so customized and niche that some platforms do it brilliantly native, others are specialist to B2B, but you, to build that capability suite from scratch would be very expensive and time consuming. Um, so yeah, interesting. So we talked about cost actually. I think it'd be interesting to, to give a bit more context about how the cost model works for commerce because often businesses need to stop and think about their their actual business financial models and which platforms are most cost affordable because anything that's based on a revenue percentage or based on revenue bands works really really well um, if you have amazing amazing margins and therefore the percentage of your total GMV isn't that high but if you have a really slim margin business and suddenly it can eat up a big percentage of your profit so yeah if you tease out to people how does that work yeah what what are the bands at what point do the license fees start to really scale up and how does commerce like with an on-premise versus commerce cloud um, compare like is commerce cloud massively more expensive yeah absolutely so for one uh, so the one of the things that I've had quite a lot when I've looked at Magento and when we've selected Magento for client has been on-premise versus cloud. Um, and historically, cloud was more expensive. So I think it's about 40% more expensive than on-prem. Um, now, they're the same cost, um, which does make things tricky. So if a client wants to go down the on-prem route, they then have to justify the additional expense of a hosting provider. Um, 
so I mean, a lot of people still want to go on premise and they either want to work with their existing hosting provider or they want to manage uh, a cloud service themselves or, or they've just heard um, kind of negative things around cloud in the past, which is cloud's got a lot better. Um, but it did have a bad reputation um, to start with. Um, so that is one thing that's quite a tricky discussion usually. Um, and then in terms of kind of pricing, so this changes all the time, but it is based on GMV pretty much nowadays. Um, so there are different brackets, which I think are still kind of generally under 10 million, 10 to 25, 25 to 50. Um, and then I think it's, I can't remember what it is beyond that, but basically it just goes up um, within those tiers um but it, it isn't like it used to be where it was kind of it was thirty thousand dollars um or twenty twenty five thousand dollars if um you're under 10 million turnover or fifty thousand dollars if um you're under 25 million turnover um it's changed quite a lot and it seemed from what i've seen it seems to be pretty much case by case now um and that's not to say there's not kind of um uh, tiered system behind the scenes but that's definitely what I've seen I haven't seen too much in terms of um, retailers with the same turnover necessarily being given the same pricing and I know they do have other things they take into consideration like the size of the overall business and I know there's some other variables they look at as well yeah and how close to quarter end it is for the salespeople. absolutely yeah and what discount you can tease out of them even better wait to year end um, that's interesting and I think this is one of the key things for people to take away is uh, you really need to evaluate the pro and con of both options because with open source, you can save on the license fees and therefore you've got more money to put into development, you know, feature yeah. advancements, but you're missing key features that you get in commerce. So depending on the revenue tier and how much you have to pay, you might find that that additional feature set might justify the license fee investment. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's not always a, a clear cut thing, which I think is important for people to take away. Yeah. Um, so moving on to some of the some of the capabilities, you talked about earlier about some areas where um, you know, the investment um, from Adobe has been quite good in pushing the capability set forward. So you talked about Page Builder from a content management point of view. What do you think of it? How does it compare to an enterprise CMS uh, or even the content capabilities of you know, platforms like Shopware, which have got really good um, really good native uh, content management in them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think Page Builder is a good move in the right direction from Magento because before um, they had a very basic content management capability. Um, yeah, so they had a very basic content management capability and now it's obviously a lot better. It's drag and drop. You can build custom components. Um, they have a pre-built set of widgets. Um, it is really easy to use and it's built into the into different areas of the platform as well so you could use it um to build out landing pages you could build you could use it to manage a content area on a plp um, or a content area on a pdp for example and that can be further extended so for example gene use page builder within their with within their own blog module um, and then that way all of the blog content is managed in the same kind of page builder style interface um, it's good but i think it's still got a way to go so it's in a similar place to a lot of the other kind of page builders that platforms have. So Salesforce's new page designer, um, Big Commerce, I think are about to do a page builder, which is pretty similar again. Um, but I would say Shopware's uh, kind of page building solution um, was a lot stronger. So I think it was a lot more polished. Um, but equally, I think it's slightly different in that with Magento, it feels like it's kind of 
um, a bit of a foundation agencies should then build on and they can then build out custom components, like I say, and kind of um, integrate with different third parties and things like that. Whereas uh, Shopware, I think, was more kind of designing your perfect page almost. And it was a lot more kind of, um, yeah, feature rich and kind of fully fledged, I guess. Um, and then in terms of kind of comparing page builder to enterprise content, management uh system so i don't think um it's quite at that level yet it's very much kind of a page builder and then it can be integrated with things like um the con like the scheduling feature within magento um but it doesn't have things like workflows um and it's not quite as built out in terms of kind of staging specific types of content and um it also i mean one other thing that i was really disappointed with with page builder is that when um Magento bought Bluefoot from Gene. Um, it had a really good blog module within it. And then when Page Builder was released, um, they took out the blog module. So I'm hoping at some point they bring that back. But that's another thing that I think kind of separates it from some of the other content management systems out there. Yeah, and I think that's a good distinction in it between do you have basic content management skills? And I don't mean that disparagingly, but do you do simple content management, which is blocks on pages, simple editorial, or do you have complex distributed publishing workflows across multiple teams, countries, languages, where yeah. you need a much more flexible solution and therefore a lot of the platforms don't have that in-house and you need, in, in natively, you need to then go to enterprise CMSs, whether you're using a WordPress and extending it or you're using something like a, a Bloomreach or an Epi server. Yeah. Um, the other area you talked about earlier is around kind of visual merchandising, merchandising. How, how, how good is it? How, how much do you expect this to change over time within commerce? Is it an area they're really investing in? So I think the interesting thing for me with all of these features is, um, so I, I was at Magento Live uh, a few weeks ago and Imagine before that. And I think Magento is starting to gradually talk about bringing the Adobe products in to fill gaps in some of these areas. So um, there was a use case for Adobe target where they were using it for kind of uh, merchandising specific experiences and using it alongside um, Adobe experience manager to create these kind of like optimal experiences and I think I wouldn't be surprised if some of those products end up coming down market um, are fully integrated into the product and then they maybe drive things forward a little bit for the and for the more enterprise customer um, but at the moment I think search is a particularly weak area um, which I don't think too many people would disagree with me on um, so they lack a lot of kind of features that anyone would want out of a search capability. So you can't merchandise any of the results. Um, you know, you can manage basic synonyms and redirects, but you can't really do anything beyond that. There's no kind of underlying, um, uh, kind of machine learning there or anything like that. So that's an area where every client, pretty much every client I've had has needed to pull in a third party. Uh, but again, I think that will probably get better. So Adobe have got a search product. Um, there's been a lot of rumors about that coming into um, Magento's uh, Magento Commerce. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, visual merchandiser. So visual merchandiser, one thing I like about it is that it works and it's like really clean. Um, so in the past with Magento 1, um, when it was using the old visual merchandiser module, um, that very rarely worked. And I had very few clients that had like, uh, really good experiences using that module whereas now as much as the visual merchandiser module is basic um, and it only allows you to essentially drag and drop at a category level um, it is clean and it it kind of it's easy to use and I think it's it's got a very 
it doesn't have a learning curve. Um, but I would like to see it improve and I'd like to see the ability to apply rules and maybe apply those rules across different categories. Um, yeah, and I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those gaps are filled by the Adobe products, particularly um, for the bigger merchants. Okay, interesting. And you mentioned Magento Live. So what were the big announcements? Was it, were, was it all just very standard, we're enhancing the product, or were there any surprising things that Adobe have announced in terms of how they're going to be taking Magento tech forward? So there, were, um, so there weren't too many announcements, so less than I've seen in the past at Imagine and Live. Um, but there was definitely a focus on quality, definitely a focus on integrating the Adobe products. Um, the biggest announcement, I guess, was uh, kind of a real timeline for Adobe Sensei being built into the Magento platform, and that'll be used for personalized product recommendations. Um, and there wasn't too much detail in terms of how manageable that'll be from a back-end perspective and how you can build business logic into it. But it is the first level of personalization that will be built into Magento. Um, so that was the main thing. And then beyond that, there are a few kind of community-led project updates. Um, so one of them was the, um, so Adobe stock is now integrated into Magento and you can use that within uh, Page Builder, for example, when you're kind of building out landing pages um, and adding kind of imagery to different uh, templates in Magento. Um, but beyond that, there wasn't really too much. and yeah, it's more about kind of the Adobe products and bringing those down market a little bit um, with the main ones being uh, AEM and Adobe Analytics. Okay, and that, uh, that makes sense. I imagine one of the main reasons why Adobe bought out Magento is to integrate all of their marketing cloud stuff into the commerce, a bit like Salesforce has been doing with its suite of yeah. products. Yeah, it definitely feels like those two um, kind of um, market segments are kind of coming a bit closer together. Because uh, I think at the time when Adobe purchased Magento, Magento was still servicing probably more small retailers than the kind of real enterprise retailers. Whereas now it definitely feels like more and more of the enterprise retailers are uh, coming on board with Magento. And I've definitely heard more of those retailers taking Adobe products as part of the deal as well. Yes, and the, the license fee incentives for multi-product purchases. And you, you see this with Salesforce, they want people to buy into a journey with them, not a product. And the journey is gradually Salesforce can provide all of your enterprise tools, not just the uh, commerce. Yeah. Which makes sense if you're on three three products, it's harder for you to exit than if you're just on one. Um, I think just a, a final closing question, although it's going to be quite a uh, chunky one to pull apart for you, is we talked a lot about... The fact that you can use commerce, um, uh, open, uh, you can use commerce and pay license fee, or you can use open source and avoid a license fee, and there's different pros and cons to it. How does a business make the right decision? This is not, this is the question I often get asked, and you know, I've got my view on it, but I'm intrigued to know you you get really involved in the solution and discovery process here. Is the decision purely based on cost? Is it about operational suitability? Is it about the complexity of needs? Is it a mixture of everything? How do you help a client through that process of deciding whether they should be on commerce or not? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, and I think it's a combination, definitely. So um, if it was me, I'd probably start with like the overall kind of objectives going into a project and uh, the kind of short-term and long-term kind of functional requirements. Because I think what it, a lot of the time, what it will come down to, um, one, if you're going to use the commerce functionality, um, so that's an obvious one. Um, and then beyond that, it might actually be that 
if you are an enterprise level retailer and you want to bring in a personalization engine, um, you wanted to do, for example, a headless build with a headless CMS and you weren't therefore going to use something like page builder. Um, and then as part of that, maybe you have like a merchandising product um, and your B2C only. Um, and then you have various other kind of third parties like a PIM um, and different other kind of specialist third party areas and you might actually find that you're not really using any of commerce anyway um so that would be the other thing but i think overall it just requires a lot of due diligence um and planning and analysis on uh these third parties as well because i think in my average client would probably use a clavey for search a nosto for personalization um more and more um a pim as well um, and even then I think almost all of the clients that I work with have managed to get a good deal and they can kind of justify commerce for the remaining areas but if you're if you've got additional third parties that you're using that then take out some of the other remaining features then I guess it, you could justify open source and I think that's why when you look at some of the bigger retailers that use an open source that's actually why they use an open source just because they didn't feel like they were actually using much of the Magento platform yeah. anymore. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. And it tips both ways, doesn't it? Because you could have existing systems you're paying license fees for, and you like the idea of consolidating into a platform where you've got them within one and you can avoid multiple relationships. But there's other times where actually, yeah, you, you're buying into a platform and a license fee, but you're going to use maybe 60% of the capability. Exactly. Can you justify that? Because can you get an ROI on that investment, on that 60%? Or do you turn around and say, well, actually, if we could save a couple of hundred thousand pounds over the next four years we could use that money to invest in other areas and actually get a stronger ROI. So it's, I think that's a really good, bit, good kind of part in advice is think about where you should best spend the money and are you going to get uh, the use of all the tools you're paying yeah. for. Uh, okay. Excellent. Any other parting comments you would like to, any other parting words of wisdom for our audience? I think, I think the main thing, like if I think about my client base, which is almost entirely five to 20 million pound retailers um, in the past, I used to struggle or like I would say open source was entirely viable and commerce was not necessarily uh, needed. Um, whereas now I do think that the features that are available in commerce and the fact that they all work and they're all kind of working together does generally justify the license costs. And I do think it kind of enables them to be more efficient and kind of do things properly. Um, so with my kind of average use case, I do think commerce is a good solution um and then beyond that just i think b2b uh commerce is a no-brainer pretty much just because of all the features like credit limits customer specific roles all of that kind of stuff i think it's um that's probably the strongest part of commerce and if you are on the b2b side then it's a bit of a no-brainer excellent thank you very much and thanks for all of the insights and the practical advice uh, as always so um that brings us to a close on, on this episode on magento 2 i hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting any questions, you can add questions and comments to the website, but also feel con uh, free to contact me and Paul directly through LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, we're also now um, live on Spotify and SoundCloud. If you want to sign up and subscribe, we'll be coming to other uh, podcast uh, tools like iTunes soon. And if you do want to hear about the latest podcast and get uh, news direct to your inbox, you can sign up on the website to get alerts and we promise we don't spam. We literally just send you an alert when the new podcast is available. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. And, and Paul, thanks. Catch up with you soon. Thanks. Great. Speak to you soon. Bye.